Okay. Hebrews chapter 10. We'll, we stopped at verse 32 last week, and we're not going to spend a lot of time in Hebrews chapter 10, but we're going to spend a little time there. Oh, I need to apologize. I recorded it. I thought, enough said, it's not on, the, it's not on, our, it's not on our podcast, so Art's back today, so things will be different. So, anyway, the 31st chapter of, Mark, of Hebrews 10. It is a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of a living God. Uh, he goes on to say, and he's talking about the apostasy, and we've had it in chapter, chapter 6, and we have it in the earlier verses in chapter 10. He says, but remembering the former things, when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering, partly by being made a public spectacle, though reproached through approaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers of those who were so treated. For you have shown sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. Then a quote from Habakkuk, For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to preserving of the soul. The writer in Hebrews, we're have said it time and time again he's he's writing to Jewish Christians and he's afraid that they're at ease in Zion so to speak and that they'll fall back into some apostasy and he's guarding against that particular thing or he wants them to be guarding against that particular thing and we talked we talked at length last week about uh, these things we don't need to we don't need to forsake. Uh, in the eighteen seventeen hundreds, old preacher Jonathan Edwards um, delivered his real um, famous sermon: "Sinners in the hands of an angry God." And part of it is, is this. There are black clouds of God's wrath now hanging directly over your heads, full of the dreadful storm, and with big thunder. And were it not for the resisting hand of God, it would immediately burst forth upon you. The sovereign pleasure of God by the present stays its rough wind, otherwise it would come with fury and your destruction would come like a whirlwind, and you would be like chaff 
of the summer's threshing floor. Going back, he says, if it wasn't for the restraining hand of God, he says, it was the sovereign pleasure of God. Um, otherwise, it would come with fury. Uh, we're in some uncharted waters for us. Um, I grew up with no problems with, uh, with, with our faith. Going to church was a normal thing. Um, one big difference between when I grew up and today, we didn't have Facebook. <laughs> we didn't have the Internet. We didn't have all these things that come to put us right in the middle. Um, when I was working, um, I would get emails from a fellow down the hall. And he would tell me what I was doing wrong. That's figure speech. And I got up and I went down there and I said, look, I'm four doors down the hall. Come talk to me, you know. But we can hide behind Facebook and these kind of things. And we say some things I dare we'd say face to face. Judge Bork in his book, and we've talked about this little book a long time. He wrote it in 1966, and he prophesied, so to speak, of the way we are today. He said, academia, Hollywood, the media, and the churches are to blame for the present-day chaos that we have. One of my favorite stories about Mary Cudd, I've told Pat this before, and some of y'all were in that class. John, we were meeting in this corner over there, and I said one morning, and I said, uh, when was the last time you heard a hellfire and damnation preaching? Mary, right quick, right out of the box, she said, 1955. <laughs> <laughs> That was a very good year for Pat. But anyway, uh, she, it, it was, uh, I mean, she was right on the button. And Judge, Judge Bork says that, let me read a little bit about it. If a church changes doctrine and the structure to follow its members' view, it's difficult to see the value of that church and its religion. Religions must claim to be true and in their essentials to uphold principles that are universal and eternal. No church that panders to the people deserves respect, and very shortly it will not get respect except for those who find it political, politically useful and is less respect than the disguised contempt. It is not helpful that the ideas of salvation and damnation and sin and virtue, which one once played a major role in Christian beliefs, are now almost never heard in the mainline churches. The sermons and homilies are almost exclusively about love, kindness, and eternal life. That may be regarded particularly by the sentimental and by the improvement in humanities. 
indeed in civility. Also, it means an alteration of the teaching of Christianity that makes the religion less powerful as a moral force. Paul, I mean the writer here, is saying, you know, don't shrink away from what you have. But he says in verse 34, do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward, great reward. We need to continue, continue, continue in our faith. And verse 39, we are, we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but those who have faith in the preserving of the soul. Then he launches into chapter 11, and the first verse that we know, you know, we learned it in, in, in the elementary uh, grades of our, our churches. Uh, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. Now look on your little sheet that I, we passed out. And I said at the top, and this is taken from the sixth, chapter, uh, sixth verse of this chapter, without faith it's impossible to please God. And this is Chuck Swindoll. He said five facts about faith. Faith builds assurance and conviction. It drives out doubts about the past insecurities in the present and the fear of the future. And that's what he says in verse 1. For faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Number 2. Faith faces the future with confidence. It solidifies hope and stands firm in the midst of the gale-force winds of trials. We all have them. If you haven't, hang on. They're coming. And we can hang on to faith. <laughs> Velta and I are finishing up Ezekiel in our Bible readings. And I'm confused. I don't know if you read Ezekiel lately. But we've come to the conclusion it's in God's word. And by faith I take it, just like that. When it's going to happen, Beltane asked me, when, when, when is all this happening? I have no idea, you know. But by faith, it's in scripture, I take it. God had some reason to put it there. So he says in num number two, we stand firm in the midst of gale force winds. Number three, faith focuses on an invisible reality. It perceives things not seen. And Swindoll says, and this is so true, which unbelievers will never accept. They cannot understand the fact that we as Christians accept things by faith, even though we haven't seen them. Scripture tells them, not having seen him, we love him. 
we love him. Um, then number four, faith fulfills its purpose in pleasing God. It cannot be substituted by good works, good feelings, or good intentions. We, we please him because we want to please him, and we please him by faith. Number five, faith fixes our lives fully on God. It takes seriously God's promise of reward of faithfulness. It's all about, it's all about Jesus. Um, I get Randall, um, excuse me, Randy Alcorn's little book, and I haven't read it yet, but the one that I got the last couple of days, uh, the title of it is, and we've said it, and we've said it, and we've said it. It's all about Jesus. You know, like the little boy said, the right answer is Jesus. You know, so it's all about him. And he, faith fixes our lives fully on God. So let's continue reading. And you see these scripture verses, and they're all in Genesis. If you'll put a finger in Genesis and a finger in Hebrews 11, and we're going to look at some of these Old Testament saints that he's talked about here and we'll go for that verse 1 again now faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen for by it men of old gained approval by faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. All right, turn real quick to Genesis chapter 1. That's not on there, but we're going to look at Genesis chapter 1. And look again what he says. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God. All right, Genesis chapter 1. Verse 3, then God said, let there be light. Verse 6, then God said, let there be expanse in the midst of the waters and let them separate the waters from the waters. Verse 9, then God said, let the waters below and the heavens be gathered into one place and let the dry land appear. Verse 11, and God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plant yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth, bearing fruit after their kind with seeds in them. Verse 14, then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens. Verse 20, God said, let the waters teem with swarming living creatures and let the birds fly above the earth with the open expanse of the heavens. Verse 24, then God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures. Verse 26, then God said, let us make a man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle and over all the earth and over everything that creeps on the earth. 
God spoke the world in existence. And that's exactly what the writer says in chapter 2, verse 11 of Hebrews. The worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was made out of things which were visible. You've heard the little joke about the the scientists and the Lord coming together and you know it's, they were going to have a have a a contest who could create stuff and and uh the scientist says uh let me get some dirt God told him get your own dirt <laughs> you know get your own dirt you know if you going <clears throat> if this is going to be something you 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 start there <clears throat> look at verse 4 by faith Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts and through faith, and though he was dead, he still speaks. Uh, We're going to go through some patriarchs here, and and the writer is going to, he's taken in chronological order. So let's go to Hebrews 4, uh, 4 and 5, and we'll see what we have there in Genesis. Genesis 4, 4 and 5. Abel, on his part, brought the firstlings of the flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But Cain, and for his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Now, don't ask me why the Lord didn't take Cain's offering, because I don't know. But I know what Scripture says, and the Scripture says, and verse 4 of Hebrews says, By faith Abel offered the offering unto God, a better sacrifice than Cain. And I'm going to leave it at that. But by faith, Abel did what he said he would do. Now we know later is in the scripture, Cain slew his brother, Abel. And then we had uh, Adam and Eve had another son, Seth. And that's where the godly line comes from as we're going through history. Verse 5. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Now let's go to Genesis 5. 21 and through uh, 24. And this is, well, we have one other thing about Enoch, but basically this scripture in Genesis, the one we just read in, in Hebrews and one in Jude, is all we know about Enoch in, in scripture. Verse, verse 21, Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Now, who was that guy? Who was Methuselah? 
He was old. He lived 900 and something years. So Enoch was his dad. Okay. Verse 22. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. And he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Verse 24. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Okay, go back to Hebrews, verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he... <clears throat> that he would not see death. And he was not found because God took him. For he obtained the witness before his being taken up that he was pleasing to God. Now go to the little book of Jude. It's right in front of Revelation. Little book of Jude. It's, it's just the book of Jude. <laughs> Look at verse 14. It was also about these men that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all and to convict all of the ungodly of their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way and all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Now, I'm going to throw this out and this is another time for another place, but Scholar says there's probably a book somewhere and they call it Enoch 1 or 1 Enoch. So, we don't know that Enoch wrote a book, but Jude quotes from him, so that's that. But that's all we know. What does these three scripture passages is all we know about Enoch. But back to Hebrews, it was by faith, by faith, and God took him. And then verse 6, which we've titled and talked about, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Without faith, it's impossible. It just is. Verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things yet to come, in reverence prepared an ark for the salvation of his household by which he condemned the world and came as an heir of righteousness which is according to faith. How many in here have gone to the ark? Anybody gone to the ark? It's on my bucket list. I want to go to the ark and I want to go to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Uh, maybe I can one day. But by faith, Noah. All right, turn to Genesis chapter 6, and let's look a little bit there. Genesis chapter 6, beginning in verse, let's look at verse 8, and then we'll go to verse 17 and 18. 
Genesis 6, verse 8. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 17. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in when it's breath life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish, but I will establish my covenant with you. At that time, according to what the scholars tell us, rain was a kind of a thing that they didn't understand. The dew came and watered the earth, but rain, and yet, Scripture tells us, I want you to build a boat, and I want you to take two of every kind, you and your sons and your wives, and, your, and, and get on the boat when the time comes. I've, I've heard people say, you know, God shut the door. Probably Noah's big question was, was God going to open the door? But anyway, you know, the, the story, you know, it flooded, flooded the whole world. And yet the ark was safe and he built it like God told him. And it was a, if you go see the ark from the pictures I've seen on TV, it's a massive structure. It's just massive and it's supposed to be the scale. Now, inside of it, we don't have any details what's inside, but the people who have gone there, Babette, it, they, it's pretty good. I mean, they made provisions for water and feed and for everything else. You know, it's, it's amazing. But by faith, Noah built this boat, not knowing what was going to happen. Okay, verse 8. By faith, Abraham... When he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. Okay. Is anybody in here 75? Exactly 75? <laughs> How many is over 75? Okay. All right. Let's let's go to Genesis Genesis chapter 12. <laughs> I don't I don't know. Anyway, Genesis chapter 12 look at verse 4 and and we'll go from there. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot was with him. Now, Abram was 75 years old when he departed Haran. Uh, some, sometimes, I think you've heard my testimony, Velt and I were 50 when we departed Louisiana. I don't know if we'd depart at 75. <laughs> but anyway, he did. God said, I'll do these things for you in recorded in verses 1, 2, and 3. He says, if you'll get up and go to a place that I'll show you. And he didn't even tell him where to go. And that's not Bill. 
Because if I'm going somewhere, I get the atlas down. I know how long it's going to go. I know where I'm going to stop. Um, I'm not a spontaneous guy. <laughs> I, I want to know what I'm doing and where I'm going. But he said, Abram, you get up and go, and I'll show you where you want to go. And at 75, he did. Now, let's continue. Let's continue looking at, at um, uh, where am I? Verse, verse 4, right? Okay, we'll come back to that. Verse 15, uh, chapter 15. Verse 18. <clears throat> he, uh, let's back up on 15 a little bit to uh, verse 13. Now God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. This is God's telling them that they're going to be in Egypt for 400 years, and they were. They were in, in Egypt for about 430 years. But God told him when he called him that his, his family would be there. Verse 14, But I will also judge, judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. Verse 18, on the day the Lord made a covenant, a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. When we studied Daniel a few weeks ago, Daniel, Babylon, was between the Euphrates and the Tigris River. It's no more. It's in what we know today as Iraq. But it's, uh, it's, it's that place. I'm going to give it to you. You go to a place where I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to give you this land. Not only to you, but to your descendants after you. After you. Okay. Chapter 17, verses 1 through 8. Um, um, let's... Let's see, I'm not going to read all, all that. Let's skip down to uh, verse 7 of chapter 17. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout all the generations for everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. I will give you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, far and everlasting possession and I will be their God that's why Israel is precious to the Lord and it's it's he's they're still his people and they will be verse 9 and back to, to Hebrews 11 verse 9 by faith he lived as an alien in the land in in a foreign land dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob and fellow heirs of the same promise. He was looking for a city whose builder has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Okay. And by faith, Sarah. All right, let's look at 17, Exodus 17, uh, verses 15 through 21. 
Gen- I said Exodus. I don't mean what I said. <laughs> it's Genesis 17, verse 15 through 21. Then God said to Abram, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not came to call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and indeed I will give you a son by her, and I will... I will bless her, and she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Will a child be born to a man a hundred years old, and will Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh, that Ishmael may live for you. But God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son, And you shall call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant uh, for his descendants after him. Verse 21. My covenant I will establish with Isaac. Sarah will bear to you this season next year. Look at chapter 21 of Genesis. Verse 1 of 21. The Lord took note of Sarah as he had promised. And the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a child to Abraham in his old age. At the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him. Sarah who bore him Isaac. Uh, and we know that's, that that's, that's the case. Now, look over, let me see. I'm running out of, oh, I got to quit. I see all these (laughs) choir members leaving, and I wondered what was up. But anyway, well, Art, can you pick up next week somewhere along there? Okay, clean up my mess. Okay. Anyway, by faith, you know, what God said is true and his words are true and we can believe it and we can take it by faith. Let's go to the Lord. Thank you, Lord, for everything. Be with everything said and done in this service today. Bless us. Be with every song sung, every scripture read, every word preached. And, Father, we'll give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.